Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную. Великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться.
Bible, please open along with me a familiar place of scripture which still contains the depth of the повелевает unjust. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I'd like to continue is called Call to Perfection. This promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by посланного Богом к наследию этой заповеди никакого отношения не имеют и не могут иметь. В связи с исполнением этой повелевающей заповеди мы остановились на назначении праведности Божией в сердце человека. Какие цели призваны 
Specifically, we have been studying that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony, in which we, with the law, died to the law, so that He could live, so that we could live, for the one who died and rose. It's comprised of us receiving обетование быть наследниками мира, но праведностью веры, подобно тому, как Он это даровал Аврааму и семени Его. Ибо не законом даровано Аврааму или семени Его обетование быть наследником мира, но праведностью веры. Presented in the gospel words spoken by the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey the order of God, cooperation with which he sends us his word through the mouth of the messengers of God. In this manner, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messengers of God. To test a person to determine if God has truly sent him to represent the powers of his word should be done according to the order outlined in Scripture and by the anointing in our heart that is present to aid us in knowing the voice of God and mouth of a person who represents the fatherhood of God. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. You know, Antichrist, anti, those who are against Christ. Anti means rejection. Even now, many Antichrists, or those who are Antichrist, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And the most interesting is that those Antichrists are not in the world. They are found in churches. They have come from us. The world cannot be an antichrist. It does not know Christ. How can it, not knowing Christ, be uh, be or challenging him if he does not understand him, if he does not know him? They came out from us, but were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. First John chapter 2, verses 18-26 through 26. They come out, they went out, not into the world, but they went out and they were based, their unions, their assemblies were based here, these churches that challenge those churches that they went out of. They call themselves Jews. But those who they came out from, they call them lost. They justify their exit out of these churches because they they say that we left slavery into freedom. And oftentimes we say there exists the freedom from sin and freedom from righteousness. What what freedom have you gone out to? If you have been freed from righteousness, you have become slaves of sin. And now you rejoice that you are free to do sin. This is your right. Through righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and serve as evidence in the heart of a person that he or we are the children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace that abides in the covenant of peace are in fact the riches of our hope in God that contain all the promises of God that yield the purpose of righteousness or the goals of righteousness, realization of which is the purpose of redemption. 
It is righteousness through the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can keep our hearts and thoughts in Jesus Christ. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippines chapter 4, verses 6-7 through seven. The peace of God can only guard those thoughts in Christ Jesus that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. These are thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, again, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. From this passage, we know that people who do not allow the truth of the gospel word and the power of the Holy Spirit to renew their thinking with the spirit of their mind have no relation to the peace of God whatsoever. And consequently, they have no relation to the sons of peace who through the peace of God inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. And we must never separate these two terms, salvation and the kingdom of heaven. Some people think that, all right, good, I won't reach the kingdom of heaven, but at least I am saved. But the kingdom of heaven is salvation. Salvation is the kingdom of heaven. Only in the kingdom of heaven we gain salvation. Christ did not come down to preach in the literal sense salvation. He came down to preach the kingdom of heaven in which there is salvation. And you will see that God, the gospel was called not the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom. Because the word gospel, the word gospel itself, means reigning king. This word was taken out from the Roman lexicon. Before this, it did not exist in the Old Testament. But this word was first applied and used by the Roman Empire. He had called himself the Gospel. He called his actions the Gospel, and he called his son the Gospel. After this, Christ had shown that the true King is He, and the true words that He speaks is are His words, reigning words that carry life and deliverance. That's why we will always remember that salvation is contained in the kingdom of heaven. Do you accept the kingdom of the teaching of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven? You accept salvation. By denying it, you deny salvation. Or you reject salvation. You must firmly note that only through the cooperation of our spirit, with our renewed mind, found in Christ Jesus, we are called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ. And in order to take a look at the conditions that highlight how our righteousness can be clothed in, the, in this peace to meet the requirements of the perfection of our Heavenly Father, we arrived at the need to study this question. According to what signs should we test ourselves to see if we are the sons of God and the sons of peace? Because according to the reign of the peace of God in our heart, 
We must define in ourselves if we are the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And we have noted that if a person has not died to his nation, his household, and his corrupt desires, then the justification that he accepted in salvation through faith in Christ Jesus will never be transformed into the quality of righteousness in which he would be able to bring or offer fruit of peace. Because justification that God gives us, according to the gift of grace, thanks to this justification, we cannot be clothed into the inheritance of peace. This is something we accept as a deposit that we must place into circulation, that we, having accepted this we have accepted this seed, we can then place under circulation. And for these kinds of people, their crown of righteousness will be taken, which gave them the right to the inheritance of people in which they could be called the sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. We must know that the promise of peace gains its powers and legitimacy only through righteousness of faith in the covenant of peace, which places a responsibility on both sides of the law, in which each of the sides of the covenant are responsible for the fulfillment of their role established by God in the statutes contained in the covenant of peace. And if one of the sides violates the agreement made in the covenant of peace between God and man, and this violation can only occur from man's position, then the second position in the face of God is freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of peace of God in the heart of a person testifies that this person is a peacemaker or the son of peace, which serves for God as a foundation to endow us with the virtue of the name of His Son so that we could share with Him the fulfillment of all that is written of Him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification we received through the right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth transformed into a quality of righteousness in which we became able to bring the fruit of peace in our relationship with God and those who surround us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is referring to holiness. If you have peace but you do not have holiness, then you are going to not be able to inherit salvation. Hebrews 12.14 And we are referring to a kind of peace that can be created only in the boundaries of holiness or expressed in holiness, the limits of which are yielded by the commandments of God. That are contained in the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12:18 writes the same apostle, but in another book, Romans 12:18. From this it follows that we cannot have peace with all people. And Apostle Paul says, if it is possible, only with those whom it is possible to have peace, we can have peace. Peace as an expression of holiness. 
The peace that we demonstrate that is outside of the limits of holiness and is not an expression of holiness is lawlessness for which we must pay the price of eternal life. This is referring to those who have tolerant thinking that God so-called loves everybody and the righteous and the unrighteous. God hates the unrighteous. He loves only the righteous. He came only to save those who are His, those who are righteous. That's why we must keep this in mind. He despises sinners and He loves the righteous. You might say, how? Every word is written that the Lord loves the sinners. No, this is not written anywhere. This is preachers who try to, who begin to lie to people. God loves the righteous. But what do we do with the sinners, you may ask? The thing is, is that God loves those people in whose hearts is the desire to seek righteousness, the desire to have salvation, not just to be saved in sin, but to be saved from sin. He loves these kind of people. For these people, He had sent His Son. He will come and He will save those who are His from their sins. Those people who, having heard the truth, they will come to meet it, who will make themselves open to light. They're not going to hide from the light. And therefore, our fellowship with people who Scripture refers to as evil company will corrupt our good habits and it transforms us into their evil image. And this is referring to not people of this world, but people who are found in the church. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34 Whoever thinks that God loves everyone, Apostle Paul says, I am ashamed of you. You do not know God. God is holy. He cannot love simultaneously the lawless and the righteous. He despises the wicked and he loves the righteous. Therefore, it is impossible and a crime to have peace with the wicked who had accepted the truth at some point, but then left their assembly and turned away from the Holy Commandments, as we have read in 1 John. They had accepted the truth, but then left their assembly and turned away from the Holy Commandments. Because the fact that they are resisting the words of the messengers of God established over them testifies of the loss of peace in their heart, and it refers them to the category of the wicked. They're going to find for themselves other pastors who have made separation or division or who have stepped away from the church. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose water is cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. And this is not the only place of Scripture. In a certain format, we have already looked at six signs by which we can test ourselves for the subject that we are the sons of peace and therefore the sons of God. We've stopped to study the seventh sign. This is the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Только святая любовь может быть совокупностью совершенства. 
и да владычествует в сердцах ваших мир Божий, которому вы и призваны в одном теле, и будьте дружелюбны. Колоссянам 3, 14, 15. Мы отметили, что, исходя из данного изречения, владычество мира Божьего в наших сердцах возможно только при одном условии, если избирательная любовь Бога будет пребывать в наших сердцах, и мы будем обличены в избирательную любовь Бога. Иногда Писание говорит, облекитесь в любовь Божию, в смиренно-мудрень. На самом деле это свойство нового человека. Облекитесь нового человека. Вот именно новый человек, он обладает по своей природе избирательной любовью Бога или же святой любовью Бога. Потому что сама по себе избирательная любовь Бога – это непостижимая для плотского ума благость Бога или добродетель, присущая Богу. Ибо в избирательной любви Бога, которая является благостью Бога, сокрыты благие, прекрасные, вечные и непостижимые для нашего разумения цели и дела Бога, призванные выстраивать уникальные мирные отношения исключительно только со своими детьми. Постижение избирательной любви Божией призвано исполнить нас всею полнотою мира Божия или же соделать нас совершенными, как совершен Отец ваш Небесный или же наш Небесный. Да даст вам по богатству славы своей крепко утвердиться Духом Его во внутреннем человеке верою вселиться Христу в сердца ваши. Видите, здесь речь идет о том, что люди уже верующие, они уже родились от Бога, они уже приняли крещение водой и заключили с Богом завет, они уже крещены Святым Духом, они уже изгоняют бесов. They do not have the Holy Spirit yet. He has not yet entered their hearts as the Lord and ruler. And here he writes to this church, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. И уразуметь превосходящую разумение любовь Христову, дабы вам исполнится всею полнотой. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16 through 19. I am going to turn away a little bit so that we understand that the height, width, depth, and length is a definition of the fatherhood of God. It is a definition of His greatness. These things are found in men who represents the fatherhood of God. When you see in Scripture four living creatures on which the throne of God is, and these four living creatures each have four faces, an eagle flying, a lion, a ram, and man. And these four creatures each move in their own direction, one north, one east, south, and west. For a person, this is impossible to understand with their mind. How can God move on this kind of a chariot that is going in four different directions at once, four opposite directions? Then we see them in Revelations. They are four, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And these four living creatures represent specifically the fatherhood of God because the 24 elders are those who water. They go based off what these other four say. This is where the voice came from. Go and look 
and they fulfilled, and together they comprised 28. And if you divide it by 7, and 7 means fullness, then you receive 4. 4 without anything left over, so that we understand what the height, width, length, and depth is. This is referring to the dimensions of the light, the dimensions of light. Our human mind is called to comprehend with length, depth, and height in the physical sense. And therefore, uh, planes fly, boats sail, and they orient themselves, they orient with these different dimensions with length, depth, and height. But in the spiritual sense, we need something greater, the mind of Christ. A person who has the fatherhood of God who is going to give us the seed. Through the seed, we are going to be able to have the height, length, depth, and width. We can have this only in the church along with the saints and not without it. And to arrive at a more practical reality regarding the selective love of God, we will go deeper and deeper into the character and property of God's selective love in the light of the true virtue represented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture through the evangelized word of the apostles and prophets. We will look at seven specific different virtues. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. We have noted that each individual virtue, the fruit of virtue, contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. Second, these virtues are the moral perfection and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. Third, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ and in Christ. Fourth, these virtues are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with. Fifth, we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit or through the acceptance of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. When we exit out of infancy, and we, when we become perfect so that we can accept because someone who is not perfect cannot understand who his master is nor accept him. They are easily swayed by any kinds of winds of teachings and oftentimes they accept misinterpretations as interpretations of the Holy Spirit. Six, the means that we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit is obedience of our faith to the faith of God in the words of the messengers of God. The faith of God is information that comes from God. But not all had listened to the gospel, writes Isaiah with sorrow. He said, not everyone listened to what God spoke to him. And then Pastor Paul says, and so faith is from hearing, and hearing is from the word of God. And so faith is not an emotion, it is not a feeling, it is the information that comes from God. And our faith is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. The faith of God is commanding, and our faith, it's the command, the faith of God is a commander, and our faith is the soldier who obeys the commander. By inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. 
a true virtue expressed in the seven dignities and characteristics of the selective love of God, has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. We began to study the selective love of God in the format of seven virtues we must demonstrate in our faith to reign the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. Because the dignities of the selective love of God do not go hand in hand with what man calls love. Because the dignities of the selective love of God are the characteristics of God Himself as well as all that comes from God. It comes from His Holiness, because God is love, or rather, He is holy love, that is separated from all which man calls love. And this kind of transcendent love of God that is incomprehensible to our mind is defined by Scripture as the bond of all perfection, which points to the fact that the selective love of God is replaced by God is, excuse me, is placed by God above all His perfections yielded in His virtues. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians 3.14 The bond of perfection of the selective love of God in the seven virtues is, is unconditional. It is unconditional in relation to these virtues and in relation to its children. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. Whereas the tolerant love of man toward man can be easily used for selfish purposes. Because tolerant love is a blind love. This is what they say. They say that love is blind. He will love even a goat. That's what people say. This is how the place, uh, places of Scripture defines the strength of God's love. Song of Solomon 8, 6 or 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6 through 7. And so the level of the love of God is defined by the level of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. Because only by loving what God loves and hating what God hates do we express God's reaction to good and evil. From which it follows that the love of God is a love that is virtuous, knowledgeable, self-controlled, patient, godly, and contains brotherly kindness, and it is called to bring us to the fullness of the stature of Christ or to perfection, to which we are all called to. The love of God is the basis and atmosphere of the moral law that unveils the essence of God as well as the essence of the kingdom of heaven. That it is not all. The love of God agape is sovereign love that is unconditional only in relation to those people whom it chooses to understand it.
Thanks to its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates legal rights in relationships with those people whom it selects, and it never allows the sovereign rights of its master to be violated. In a certain format, we have already studied the manifestation of the selective love of God and the virtues of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and patience. We have stopped to study the virtue of the love of God and the mystery of her godliness. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. From such, withdraw yourself. Run away from them. Do not communicate with them. Run away from them as from the face of a snake. First Timothy 6, 3-5 and so, according to the meaning of these words, it follows that the doctrine which accords with godliness and the selective love of God and disputes and argues are not just opposite, but are also incompatible with their original natures. Because in Scripture, the discipline of godliness and the selective love of God is presented as the foundation of the evangelic faith teaching that is tied to the great mystery of God. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 If we were to stop talking about this verse and to begin to study it more in detail, I think we wouldn't even have um, a year. It would, it would take longer than a year for us to study it. It is through the manifestation of the fruit of godliness that we can identify the true love of God agape in the heart of a man, as well as his thoughts, words, actions, the way in which he dresses, which must not excite the sexual instincts of the opposite sex. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue of godliness highlights the correct relations between saints and God who are bound together by a mutual union or covenant. And therefore, the essence of the selective love of God and godliness is defined and expressed in mutual obligations between God and man that are established by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Keeping this in mind, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. What characteristics does Scripture give godliness and God and man? What purpose is godliness intended to fulfill in relation between God and man and man with God? What conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to cooperate with the godliness of God? As well as, by what signs should we define that our godliness truly cooperates with the godliness of God? In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have studied the character of the first two questions. We have stopped to study the third question. What conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to cooperate with the godliness of God? And what conditions are necessary to fulfill to draw the favor of God upon ourselves and the virtue of His godliness? It is worth distinguishing the godliness of God found in His favor with which a person must cooperate by demonstrating His godliness so that He demonstrates His love toward God. And so we have distinguished the godliness of God 
from the godliness of man. The godliness of man, in Hebrew, it means his favor toward God, his goodness toward God, and his gratitude to look upon orphans and widows in their afflictions. Keep yourself from being defiled by the world. Imitate Christ and think of what is heavenly. See God in His good, acceptable, and perfect will. This is how the godliness of man is described. And God's godliness is His goodness, His grace and favor, His favor and propitiation, His gratitude and grace, His good deed and good giving, His good in its absolute sense. God's godliness is the goodness of God yielded in His wills, good, acceptable, and perfect, that were formed in the depths of the Heavenly Father and established by Him into a commandment. Which God magnified above all His name and made Himself dependent on His word in the commandment. In this manner, God's godliness and the commandments of God was established by God into a law for His chosen remnants, whom He foreknew and predestined, so that they be like the image of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 For whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren Romans 8 29 The Old and New Testament define the virtue of the love of God and the discipline of godliness as one of the great mysteries of God himself that protects and makes the love of God impossible to falsify Despite these characteristics that are called to yield the essence of godliness, a forgery of godliness exists that will challenge the true manifestation of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy verses 3-5 You see, everywhere where there is God's love and some kind of manifestations, it says, turn away from those people who do not have this kind of a love. If he has only a form of godliness, that he loves God, that he loves saints, if he only has the form but he does not love them, it says, turn away from such people. It says, those who deny the power of godliness. I have told you before, on one uh, Episcopal church where there were um, Episcopals of the Pentecostal church, a question was asked. Brothers, they were turned to the brothers. Brothers, are you holy? Are you righteous? One of them said, brothers, do you hear what he's saying? How corrupt and proud and twisted you have to be to affirm that we are righteous and holy. Of course not. We are not holy or righteous. We have not denied us. We strive to be holy and righteous. This person who had asked the question looked at me, wanting me to save him and stand up for him and to show them that they can be uh, holy and righteous. 
and that you will never achieve this righteousness through your own ways. For in order to be for in order to do works of righteousness, you need to be righteous. And they try to, using works of righteousness, they try to achieve righteousness so that they can be righteous. However, uh, however much a snake wants to be a dove, he will never become a dove. It's impossible. And a snake will always bear an egg, and this egg is not going to be a dove's egg. This is going to be a, a snake egg not a dove. For some reason, people who do not have justification, who have not accepted it as a gift, they do not consider themselves righteous. They think that by not being righteous, they can bring the egg or fruit of righteousness. This is absurdity. Someone had lied to them. They had taken up the rank of commanding generals in the church, and now they lie to all churches that none of you are righteous or holy. We only strive to this. Because you can't call yourself righteous, they say, if you have said something in anger against your wife and he considered himself unrighteous. And I ask, do you, are you even, I asked the a wife of a pastor, are you ever righteous? She says, sometimes yes. Today, about half the day I was righteous. And then I had lost my righteousness. I asked her, how did you lose it? She says, I called my I called my husband a goat, a donkey. Excuse me, a donkey. That's what they believe in. They lose their righteousness left and right. I said, do you know that true righteousness, even amid sinfall, it does not lose its justification? Because what is righteousness? It is definition of your origin. It is not what you do and become and is that from which you were born it is your origin if you were born righteous then even when you sin you remain righteous because you sin not with your spirit but you sin in you sin that comes from the flesh as it is written the righteous shall fall seven times but get back up the righteous falling he does not turn into a sinner yes Solomon says we will not sin knowing that we are called to be yours. Yes, we sin, but we are not going to. To sin and to be a sinner is different. The righteous falls at the in sin at the level of their body, but because he has righteousness he and justification, he accepted it correctly, he can get back up. If the righteous will sin in the spirit, he cannot be renewed with repentance. But in the spirit, that happens if they sin in the spirit. It is written that those who have a form of godliness but deny its power turn away from such people. True godliness in man perfectly distinguishes the forgery of godliness in men and with contempt breaks off relations with them and moves away from them as it reveres and trembles before every ordinance of God and has discipline that can exactly execute these decrees. If we do not break off relations with people who have only an outward appearance of godliness, they will corrupt our godliness consisting of our good morals. Because of this, we, together with them, will inherit the destruction prepared for them. And so the third question that we're studying, what conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to cooperate with the goodness of God or to bring God's favor upon us? And so, 
Again, I'm just going to continue, and I'm not going to summarize what we have already gone over and what we have already spoken about. To draw upon ourselves the goodness of God and the selective love of God, it is necessary to demonstrate in our hope firmness, immovability, and steadfastness to stand a charge at the tabernacle of testimony. Numbers 153. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Of course, the tabernacle of testimony, this is our heart. Habakkuk says, I have stood my rampart so that I can know what the Lord will say to me and be vigilant on this tower in my heart. Then this was an image, but today to keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony is to keep watch at our heart in which Urim and Thummim abide. If you do not have Urim and Thummim in your heart, it is, we cannot keep charge at our heart. It is pointless. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Psalms 127, 3 through 5. This is referring to the inheritance that is presented in the young sons, and they are like arrows in the quiver of this blessed man, of this mighty man. He is called Mighty. And these young sons is an image of Umim and Thurim. Thanks to the wisdom in our heart, we are able to fight off any evil thought because we will understand where this evil thought is coming from. Is it coming from me? Is it coming from devil? Or is it coming from some kind of people? And evil, an evil thought tries to shake the authority of the fatherhood of God in our heart. For devil, it is important to shake us. If he is able to shake the authority, your authority, toward the person who represents the fatherhood of God, you are going to suffer and perish. You cannot be saved. Because if you have lost the authority toward this person and have denied him, you have denied God. Christ said directly about these people who represent the fatherhood of God. He said, He who accepts you accepts me. He who accepts me accepts the one who has sent me. Who denies you, he denies me. And he who denies me denies the one who sent me. One of those who denied me said these words to me. He said, and people are mistaken. All people are mistaken. I said, will you say this to God then? Lord, forgive me, despite the fact that your people represent the fatherhood of God, but they are people, they make mistakes. And that's why I decided not to obey him, because I don't understand the way he understands. I don't see the way he sees that it is necessary to orient and look at one person. I think that we can hear any person anointed by God, and I don't think that uh, in doing so, I am committing adultery by listening to many who are around. I don't think so. Yes, he agreed with this. 
Satan had placed a thought, but he is man. And if he is a man, he can be mistaken because all people are mistaken. Yes, all people are mistaken, but God is not mistaken. For when a person makes a person uh, the father of God, he knows that th this person can be mistaken. But he also knows that he can fix this person. It doesn't mean that he is, he cannot absolutely not be mistaken, but it also doesn't mean that we need to lose our authority, lose him as our authority and stop following him. God can easily fix the mistake because he has direct work with this man and he is going to continue to lead his people through this person. Yes, David had been mistaken. He accepted the voice of Satan as the voice of God and he began to commit incorrect things. And when he understood this, his heart was moved. He had repented immediately. And God did not place a different David for Israel. And God did not say, oh yes, all right, that's it. This person does not have the right to be king anymore because he had not discerned my voice. For victory is comprised of not discerning, but the fact that we then we discern and we repent. I say oftentimes to people who, with repentance, I said, you know, must understand that you have not lost this battle. Yes, you have sinned, but you have not lost the battle only because you have repented. Repentance is victory. When you repent in your sins, you win the battle. Devil thinks that he wins the battle when he leads you to sin, and you sin. You immediately go in and confess your sin, and you win this battle. And he remains with a big nose, as said in the world. Therefore, the Levites must know that they what they must do. God today calls you all Levites. He wants all the people of Israel to be priests, but they refuse to. And that's why God made only one tribe priests. Today, the Holy Spirit has said through Apostle Peter, you, all of you, are kings and priests unto God. Obviously, infants in Christ Jesus, carnal people are not yet kings and priests to God, but they were born in the family of kings and priests. And obviously, they have a guarantee that they are going to be kings and priests because this is their inheritance, this is their calling. They must only do what? They must leave infancy. They must exit out of infancy. They must become a perfect in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, to draw upon ourselves the goodness of God and the selective love of God, it is necessary to stand in the gap for the vessels of mercy and unleash the judgments of God on the vessels of wrath. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them. Take a look. When everything is good in the righteous, there is no need to tell him that everything shall be well with you. But is when the righteous endure, endure something, they endure some kind of loss. In this time, you say, the righteous shall fall seven times but get back up. Tell him it shall be well with them. Do you see what judgments we are supposed to speak to the, to the righteous? The righteous is the person who can sin but repent. The wicked is the one who sins and does not repent. 
Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. And so, if we refuse to bless the righteous when he is subject to scolding and assault, and if we refuse to release grief on the heads of the wicked who slander the righteous, we will share in the fate with the wicked people in eternal debt, death. Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. 1 Kings 20.42 Do you want to turn the favor of God upon yourselves? Bless the righteous when he endures scolding and assault by Satan, when someone spreads rumors about him, when somebody persecutes him, or when he falls, cover him. Do not spread rumors about him. Pray for him to the Lord. Pray about him to the Lord and say to him, Blessed are you before God. You are going you're able to leave this place and you're able to fight off the sin. Carry out this judgment over him if you want to turn the favor of God upon yourselves. Furthermore, to draw upon ourselves the goodness of God and the selective love of God, it is necessary to not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but be strengthened in faith, being fully convinced that what He had promised, He is able to perform. He is able to perform that which He has promised to you. This is referring to Abraham and Romans chapter 4, 18-21, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. When a person decays, his body begins to slowly die. And Abraham had this body, kind of body at 99 years old, and Sarah's womb was in deadness. Although she was barren, her, bare, her womb had already was already decaying. Abraham did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that he, what he had promised he was able to perform. Romans 4, 18-21 When you look at this image, among us, there is not one person among us who would be like Abraham at 99 years Yes, there are some people who are 99 years old, but they look fairly well. Abraham did not look 99 years old very well when he was at this age. He looked very, very ill. He was already almost dead. His body was already almost fully in decay, and there was no hope, more hope in his body. His abilities as a man were none. Sarah was very old as well. She was worn out, and she had a barren womb, and her womb was in decay and death. But he looked upon the glory of God and was firm that God was able to fulfill that word which, we, which he had spoken. 
I want us to understand this. If you want to turn upon the favor of God upon yourselves, firmly believe that God is able to fulfill that promise that you today have accepted by the faith of your heart. I am talking about the promise that God will unveil at the door of our hope before there is rapture. Several years prior to rapture, He, with a sound, is going to throw out from our body the old man. He is going to destroy the power of death and replace it with the power of righteousness, the resurrection of Christ. Our bodies are going to be absolutely glorified. From our decaying bodies, we are going to have a young, flourishing body. Not just young and flourishing body, but a body upon which all the names of God are written. The eyes that are going to look at any other person are going to be the eyes of God in the body of a person. This person is going to bring upon wrath around him and, and fear. And while these people are on earth, the Antichrist cannot be revealed until these people are taken away from the earth. It is these people that are going to put to the knees all of these false charismatic evil, those who call themselves charismatics by not being charismatics. Charisma is the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But people cannot practice or use the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has nothing in relation to people who live as Satan lives and begin to dance, saying, this is correct and this is all right in the church. I would like to look at those dance, dancing priests in the tabernacle of Moses or the Temple of Solomon. What would happen to them? What happened to Nadab and Aviud would happen to these people in the presence of God. People trembled and revered. It was impossible to dance. Reverence and trembling. We must understand that when we begin to worship God, this is reverence and trembling. It's something else when we doing something when we meet together in an event we can laugh together and perhaps dance together but when we have worship and God abides among this worship when we appoint this worship and before we come here he is already here and we don't need to invite him here and God looks at us are we going to demonstrate this reverence and this trembling or are we going to wait for supernatural emotions to grasp our bodies then it's easy to do this but if we demonstrate discipline if we come to church we turn off our phones we stop our conversations conversations with one another if we are focused today the Lord will speak something to my heart what the questions that come here today with he will open to me the dependence that I had today will be completely broken God will open something new to me today Abraham constantly looked at this he had seen we can with our imagination think about this everyone on their own you hear the word and everyone can with their imagination think of what will be with them we must not look at what doctors say or the verdict that they have spoken to you we must not pay attention to what your emotion your pain says how do we not pay attention to it we must not depend on it it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go and uh, uh, um accept this medicine from the doctors. I speak to myself, that's all right, my body, just be patient. 
you are soon going to be glorified, magnified. Soon your body will be clothed in glorious garments. Though each one who sees this body Someone will be astonished by this. Someone will come and look at it with horror. I, I speak to my inner organs as I say, be patient and be blessed in me. You are not going to die, but you will live. Not much longer is left. That's why, as a rule, the entrance into the promise of eternal life is called to build in our body in time of the power in, in place of the power of death the power of the resurrection of life it's a time when all the capabilities of man come to nothing I will provide this place of scripture in Habakkuk that I just talked about Habakkuk 2 1 through 4 I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected then the Lord answered me and said Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. You have ex received the promise. Now stand, watch at your heart and keep this promise, what the Lord is going to say further. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that, they, that he may run who reads it. The vision is the revelation of this promise that you hear. This is the vision. Write it on the tablets of your heart clearly so that the Heavenly Father, as he who reads, can easily read it. For the vision, because no one knows what is contained in your heart. This is for God. You accept this promise. You must clearly hold on to it. What is it? What is going to happen to me? Because when the time comes, God is going to do this just as you see it, just as you have written it, just as you have heard through the gospel word, so write it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. This is talking about this promise. No one paid attention to this in Habakkuk. Everyone just paid attention to something else. This talks about the end, and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So, by obedience of our faith to the faith of God, just as Abraham remained firm, he, has, he had given glory to God. What does it mean to give praise and glory to God? He gave praise to God because he is the father of many nations. What did he do? He called the inexistent as existent. Because God had said to Abraham, Abraham, already in my thoughts, in my vision, I have already done this in the invisible realm. That's why, call your wife Sarah, he who has given birth to many kings. And she says to him, you call him Abraham, the father of many nations. And in order to see your children, look your head up, to the, turn your head up to the stars. This is how many children you will have. And in the day, go out to the sea and take a look at the sand. If you are able to count it, thus shall as many your children shall be. And Abraham had seen in each star, he had seen the face of his son, his daughter, and each grain of sand. He looked at the sand, he, he had taken it. And there is an innumerable amount. The promises of God are many, and all of this is for you, for each one individually. 
the grains of the sand and the stars of the heaven, all of this is contained in this, these end days. Do not forget, he says, wait for it. If it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. God is unchanging. Abraham believed that God is able. And even if you shall die, he will resurrect you so that you could inherit this promise. You will say, how? Well, if the time has not yet come, the end for the whole body of the church, for this promise to be fulfilled, and you have died, what will happen to you? Then when the time comes, then all saints who had died in faith without receiving what was promised, when our bodies are going to gain this, they at this time will re resurrect. And for several years, they're going to remain in their heavenly bodies on earth with us, and we in our earthly bodies, because they were also supposed to receive this body on earth, this promise. And along with them, when the time of the rapture comes, we are going to be transformed together with them. That's why Apostle Paul says, do not sorrow for those who had died, who had accepted this promise. For they are going to resurrect before you are going to be transformed. When Christ was resurrected, along with him, many saints were resurrected and they were made themselves manifest to many. I think that among them was also David and Jeremiah. Hosea. Joel. Micah. Ezekiel. Isaiah. Isaiah. David, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had resurrected along with Christ. They will not be resurrected later on. And they were on earth for 40 days. And when they were lifted up, they were risen with him. In scripture, this is the first, this is the first wave. And before also stands a great harvest, a great harvest, before rapture. And very many people at this time will be resurrected. Of course, right now we can't fantasize. How are we going to communicate with them? Are they going to eat along with us, eat kebabs along with us? Based on scripture, they will. They will be able to. Do you remember when Jesus was risen? He had come in closed doors the disciples they were scared because they see they saw him die with their own eyes and all of a sudden he comes in living and they were scared he says do not be afraid in order to show them that he is in the body he says if you have some kind of food and they gave him honey so that he could eat so that they could see and then he says now, feel me. And so, the heavenly body will also be able to be felt because this is going to be the body. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. This is going to be the body that we can feel. It's not going to just be the spirit. And if Christ was able to eat and drink with his disciples after he was risen, then these people also. But they're going to eat and drink 
when they want to, not when we want to. For example, disciples couldn't eat and drink with Christ when they wanted to after the resurrection. But they all of a sudden, he, he Christ all of a sudden came to them and he wanted to eat and drink. He ate and then he disappeared. And that's why I want us to firmly believe and know that the Lord will fulfill what He has promised. Accept this and keep it in your heart. I rejoice with you along with you. Furthermore, to draw upon ourselves the goodness of God and selective love of God is necessary to make the decision to go out to the field and glean heads of grain after Him in whose sight we will find favor. So Ruth the Meobitis said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young man not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Ruth chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. The name Ruth is referring to a person who has shown favor or friendship to the God of Israel because the name Ruth means showing favor or friendship. Boaz is viewed as the mind of Christ because the name Boaz means having a sharp mind. The field of Boaz is viewed as a church of Christ who proclaims the commanding teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh to form his kingdom in the flesh. The glean heads of grain that Ruth gathered is viewed as the revelation of the Holy Spirit that is called to build the power of eternal life in the body of Ruth in the face of Boaz as her husband. Boaz's phrase, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them, means walk the path of the sheep and pasture your goats. Pasture your goats near the tents of the shepherds only this way we can find the favor of God in order to build the power of eternal life in our bodies not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So, those who willingly you make the decision to leave the assembly and to move on to a different church because our human mind has gone against the church we are located in. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? This is referring to when a person leaves his assembly, he insults the Son of God, trembles the Son of God, and insults the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, verses 25 through 31.
I want to once again highlight for those people who had left the church without understanding this, who had just left to follow somebody else. Perhaps these people have the opportunity to repent. If these people have not yet known the truth, but if they have already known the truth and left, there is no possibility for them to return. All of these churches who had been formed by way of division or separation from other churches, Scripture says, I will tell them to be, Scripture says, I will tell them to be bound and burned. Pay attention. When they leave, they cannot just make a church and remain themselves. They immediately search for another church so that someone else can um, support them because if no one supports them then they'll think that what they did was wrong but if some episcopals or pastors come and surround them and rejoice that they have been freed and they uh, support them then they are comforted and they will say yes we have done the correct thing by leaving and have made this separation as one lawless person he had said look I have said to him do you not want somebody out of the brothers to place your hands on you and he told me who he had such pride. Well, who would do this? I know that before me sat an evil person and that another evil person put his hand on him. And when that was asked, when they asked me if I want somebody to put their hand on me, I said, well, who would do it? You have been... In Scripture, you do not understand anything. You do. You go against the truth. How are you going to be able to put your hand over me? You're prideful, and you might scream in your sermons, but this doesn't tell us anything. You are involved in lying. They do not honor God with tithes, and they say, oh, we, wanna, we want to raise $1,000. Give us $1,000. He who doesn't give $1,000, he will have a problem. Well, can the Holy Spirit turn to me? Out of this church, one sister says to me, I have 10 children. My, oh, my husband only works. And so, they're members of church, and so I need to give a thousand for each of my children. And the two who had said this prophecy, they can give two thousand. Well, of course, it's easy for them, they're both working. But we can't, we have ten children. What kind of prophecy is this? This is a heresy. And when a person comes out, usually charismatics do this brothers and sisters, who will give ten thousand dollars to the Lord? Who will sacrifice ten thousand dollars? Well, a few might raise their hands when there are thousands of people. They say, that's a little bit. And I've been to one of these churches. They say, this is the spirit of Satan, spirit of poverty that is binding you. Let's pray in tongues and let's bind the spirit of poverty. They pray and pray. And again, he asks, who will give 10,000? More people, more people raise their hands. This is what Benny Hinn does. Who will give 100,000? Not from 10,000. He already begins at 100,000. Who will give a hundred thousand? He says, and some people raise their hands. Who will give ten thousand? And he doesn't even say a thousand dollars because I was I was astonished. And there were Russian charismatics in this church. One of them, the leader whom they had placed, he says, I have heard that you preach about tithes, and I said yes. So does this violate you? He says, Well, you're walking on a thin line. I said, How? 
he, and that man says, you're walking a thin line because you might have people exit your church. So we must understand these things, what field we are located in, where our eyes are. He says, do not look at other churches. Do not listen to others. God says, daughter, let your eyes be on that field which you will gather the grains drink with my servants as a result she becomes the hus the wife of this prince and she becomes part of the genealogy of christ and this is an image of the end days image of the great promise that the lord has promised to give and will give if you will remain it in your keep it in your heart amen let us pray and all those who desire to cast out their doubt dependencies on sin illness God is in this place to help you to help you be freed from illness, fear and to take that promise that he has promised to give you amen, may we bow our knees for whom it is impossible our heads and we wait for you I will pray with your prayers along with you. I ask you to deeply believe that God loves you. He is not against you. He is for you. It doesn't matter what you have done, what sin you have sinned with. If in your heart there is the desire to be freed, that means that you are in the correct position in the correct time. The wicked does not have the desire to be freed. He has legalized sin. But if the sin torments your soul, you, it is painful for you. Right now, when I pray along with you, your sin will be thrown into the Hades, lake of fire. He is going to erase from his memory your sins. He is going to separate them as far as the east is from the west, and he is going to make you free so that you are able to inherit this glorified promise. Your eyes closed this is an element of a mystery room. Your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that you are ready to receive from God what he desires to give you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with an open heart, with a wounded heart, with my shame, with my sin, with my illness, with my weakness, with my sins. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, with the blood of your Son. I believe in your word. I believe in the power of your spirit. And that which I have heard today, I have accepted in my heart as, per as precious things, as great riches that I will keep, which I will look upon. And I believe that you will fulfill that which you have promised. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. 
Your sins and transgressions are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His holy face and have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands and not draw near to you. May upon you come the blessings of the valleys and the hills. May upon you come the kingdom of God, and may you be clothed in garments of kings. May the power of life be resurrected or reign in your body. May you represent the goodness of God in all times. May all these blessings and promises come upon you and on your descendants, and may they be fulfilled upon you. And let the nation say, Amen. Blessed is the Lord who through His Word, through His Gospel, lifts us up out of the depths of our sorrow and affliction. Despite the affliction or the old man telling us that we can't, devil says, you are unable to do this. You are going to leave church and you're going to sin right away. Remember that you will be able to wait and look upon this promise. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifest. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.